we were always encouraged not to read that. <laughs> as a kid, as a teenager, we were always encouraged, don't go, don't go to that book. You can read anything else, just don't go to that one. <laughs> but then as, you, as we got closer to marriage, and as we got closer to the, to the age where marriage was going to start being something that was you know, actually tangible for us, that's when we started looking at some of those scriptures. Now, I've always told people that believe that um, the Bible is sort of boring is that maybe they just haven't read it all. <laughs> because there's lots of good stuff in the Bible. If you go back through the Old Testament, there is, ooh, there is I mean, everything to make a big, big Hollywood blockbuster is contained in the Old Testament. I mean, there's, there's, there's uh, you know, traveling, there's fights, there's love, there's tears. Uh, and then you get to Song of Solomon and you realize, wow, this gets, this, this is pretty racy. <laughs> but when we start talking about the Ten Commandments, we get to this one about adultery. I think there are three basic pitfalls when we think about that act, when we think about what it means to uh, be involved in adultery. There are three basic pitfalls that I think we need to all be aware of when we start thinking about what our marriage looks like and what what uh, a relationship that we are involved in and that a serious looks like. And so, if you're if you're note takers, uh, there there's these three things that we're going to kind of touch on to start off with. These three basic pitfalls. The first one is there are unfilled needs. There are unfilled needs. That could lead us to that act, to the act of adultery. So if you're in your scripture, turn to First Peter. We're going to flip over to First Peter back in the New Testament here, as soon as I find it. First Peter, you know what I should have done is just marked these. That would have been great. So in First Peter, we're going to go to chapter 3 and uh, verse 7. 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 7, and it says, You husbands in the same way live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir, the grace of, uh, of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, I want to make an important note. <laughs> Sometimes the wording of scripture in our culture sounds a little sexist. And so what I want to make clear is that what Paul is trying to say here, what Peter, what the author is trying to say here is that husbands should not lord over their wives, just as wives should not lord over their husbands. It is a partnership. And what we have to remember is that culturally, sometimes these words made a little more sense to the people that the, the letter was being written to. And some of that has changed a little bit as time has gone on, but it is still something important for us to remember that husbands should honor their wives so as wives should honor their husbands because it's a partnership that we're in together. And I think when we start talking about unfilled needs, that first pitfall, the main thing that I want to, to take away from that pitfall is that the most important way to avoid... I think that pitfall would be communication. Communication. Several years ago, when I was uh, still a youth minister in Inola, we um, 
the church allowed me to become a marriage counselor. Um, there's a program that we use called Prepare and Enrich, and I got certified to, to in that program. Um, and uh, that's something that I really, really enjoy doing. Um, the program itself is really built for people who aren't even engaged yet. Uh, you take an assessment together. Uh, actually, you take it separately. But um, once the assessment is done, then we come together as a group, uh, the couple and myself, and then we go through uh, this whole this whole thing. It's all everything's laid out all all together, and we kind of go over, it, and it touches on every uh, part of life um, that they may have experienced or are going to experience. And it's a really great picture to see for each person to see um, each other's answers. Um, from things like, um, how many kids do you want to have? Uh, or how, many, uh, how long do you want to wait before you have kids? Or where is your money going to come from? <laughs> that was my favorite. And the last one that I did with um, uh, a couple, uh, we got to the money part. And it was, you could tell that they had not really talked about that very much. <laughs> She did not have any jobs lined up, and he had one that was maybe lined up. But I was like, okay, well, how are you going to pay for a home? (laughs) Or how are you going to pay for gas? (laughs) You know, and there's all these these budgeting things that we go through and all of these other uh, little areas of life that maybe the couple has not thought of yet. And so it's uh, it's really great to get them talking and get them understanding that communication is a cornerstone of any relationship. And so the first basic pitfall there are unfilled needs. I think a good way to to avoid that would be to put your stock in communication between each other. The second pitfall that we want to talk about today is there is unresolved conflict. Unresolved conflict. We're going to flip over to Matthew chapter 6 in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24, and it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God in wealth. Um, Some versions may say God in money. It's like like it says up there on on the board. No one can be a slave of two masters. You'll either hate the one or love the other. So there's unresolved conflict in a relationship is a pitfall in, in any relationship. And I think a good way to look at avoiding this particular pitfall sort of ties in with communication, but really I think it goes a little bit further in that we should be sharing our feelings. We should be sharing our feelings with one another. You know, Missy and I are um, interesting, I, I think an interesting couple, because we're very different. But one of the things that has stood out to us over the years, we have a lot of friends uh, who haven't made it as long in their marriage as we have. And um, I think the we came to this decision not too long ago. Well, I say not too long ago, but we came to this decision where it really made sense to the both of us that the reason that we have made it as long as we have 
is because we really, truly did, each of us, marry our best friend. Misty is my best friend. I mean, she's who I tell everything to. And I'm, the, and I'm that way for her. And so it's made it easy for us to share our feelings with one another. And I think if you're, if you're in a relationship where you can't share your feelings with one another, if that communication piece is not there, it's going to make it all the much harder for you to get over some of these pitfalls and for you to get over some of these hurdles. And so unresolved conflict is definitely something that we should avoid in any of our serious relationships. And I think the best way to do that is by being able to share uh, our feelings. Another verse that we want to look at also is Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. Oops, I went too far. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27 Say, be angry and uh, yet do not sin and do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. This is one of those um, sort of famous verses that everybody kind of talks about. Uh, when you're talking about marriage or when you're talking about um, when people do marriage counseling, a lot of times this is a verse that people will go to and saying, don't go to bed angry at each other. Have you ever heard that one before? Misty and I did that once. I don't know if she, she probably, she does remember. She knows. <laughs> I looked at her and I was like, she doesn't, she probably doesn't, no, she does. She totally does. <laughs> We've only done that once though. And it was hard. It was a rough night. Uh, I didn't sleep very well. <laughs> Mainly because I'm sure it was my fault. <laughs> but it really is very true. And I learned a good lesson that day is that you really should not let your anger overcome your ability to communicate with one another and share your feelings. So secondly, don't, uh, there's unresolved conflict. That's a, a, a pitfall. Third pitfall that we want to try and avoid. There are unmet expectations. There are unmet expectations. For this one, we're going to go to James. James, where are you? James chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, and it says, This you know, my beloved brethren, but, the, but everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. So I call this defining the relationship. <laughs> When there are unmet expectations inside of a relationship, you haven't gotten to a point where you have defined your relationship. Just recently, uh, you know, I have, uh, being in retail, I have the opportunity to work with a lot of 20-somethings um, because, you know, it, it's retail. And so with 20-somethings come a lot of different types of relationships. And a couple of my friends that uh, I've worked with uh, at, at the Apple store um, have become, they've, they've been in a relationship for almost a year. And, but as of late, they've been having some arguments, some different issues. And so I, I, it got, I started looking at their relationship from both sides, their arguments from both sides. 
And I finally came down to the conclusion that they had not had a chance to define their relationship. They each had these expectations that weren't being met. And so I told them, that's what I told them. I said, look, it sounds like you guys have different ideas of where you want your relationship to go, but you haven't talked about that. (laughs) Isn't it funny how all of these things sort of all tie back into communicating with one another? And so when there are unmet expectations inside of a relationship and you haven't defined what it is you're trying to get out of this relationship, that will become a pitfall in that relationship. So I think we need to take moments where we define what we want out of that relationship, what our expectations are. And surprisingly enough, as I'm getting older, I'm finding that sometimes those expectations change. (laughs) Sometimes, as we get older in life, and as we do new things, or as we take on new responsibilities, those expectations in those relationships might be different than what they used to be. And it's important to communicate that, to share our feelings, to define what it is we want. And so those... Those three basic pitfalls, unfilled needs, unresolved conflict, and unmet expectations are three really simple things that can lead us into temptation of adultery. Now, how do we protect ourselves? How do we take all of that and say, okay, I want to protect what we have, so how do we do that? If we think of, we're going to, I'm going to use kind of the analogy of a line. And so the first thing that we would do to protect ourselves from the idea of adultery is that we don't want to ever drift toward the line. We never want to drift toward the line. We're going to look at Second Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 10. 1 Peter chapter 1, 5 through 10, and it says, Now for this very reason, also applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence, and in your moral excellence, knowledge, and in your knowledge, self-control, and in your self-control, perseverance, and in your perseverance, godliness, and in your godliness, brotherly kindness, and in your brotherly kindness, love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, They render you neither useless nor unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind or short-sighted, having forgotten his purification from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make certain about his calling and choosing you. For as long as you practice these things, you will never stumble. So the thing that we see here from Peter is that we want to have these qualities in each of us individually to make our relationship stronger. We want to, as an individual, pursue all of these things that lead us into a stronger relationship. Because when we have worked on ourselves, it makes our relationship stronger. That was Second Peter. <laughs> we'll go to First Peter at some point. No, maybe not. 
<laughs> we have that. Second Peter 1, 5 through 10. So when you're when it's, uh, and I love that the, the the very first it says apply all diligence in supplying moral excellence, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. And when we have done that, when we have done our due diligence to make sure that in each one of us individually are working on those things, our relationships become stronger. Also, Hebrews uh, chapter 2 and verse 1 is another uh, verse to look at for this as well. And it says, For this reason we must pay close attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. And if, what that's talking about is, is holding on to Scripture and holding on to, the, to what that means in each one of our hearts and each one of our lives, so that we don't drift away. But it also applies to what we do in our relationships. The second thing that we can do to protect ourselves is that we don't want to dance on the line. <laughs> we don't want to drift towards it, but we also don't want to dance on it. And for that, I think we, we want to look at the example of King David. If you remember back from the uh, Old Testament, David was chosen out of all of the Israelites to become a leader of, that, of God's people, uh, even at a very young age. But as he be, had become king, he got to a point in his life where he made a little bit of a big mistake. <laughs> little big mistake, whatever. So it was at a time, in scripture if you remember, it says there's, it was at a time when the kings had gone to war. <laughs> but David stayed behind. And really what that meant was, that in that time, he should have been leading his army. But he wasn't. He had stayed back. And he was at the palace. And it was, it was no mistake that David was where he was. You see, David was walking along the top part of his palace. And what you have to imagine is that the palace was taller than all of the other buildings. And so, I think David may have known a little bit what he was doing. Because if your building is taller, you can see into other buildings. <laughs> and maybe he knew that. But he, at any rate, he was up top walking outside along his, uh, the top of his palace. And he looked down, and he saw into somebody's house. In fact, it was one of his generals... Uriah. But Uriah wasn't there. Uriah was out fighting battles where David should have been. <laughs> but his wife was there. And David caught Uriah's wife bathing. And he let temptation get to the best of it. And so he called for Bathsheba to come to the palace. And then they ended up having a son together. But more than that, to cover his tracks, David put Uriah on the front lines. David sent a messenger out to his, group, out to his, his army and he said, I need you to put Uriah on the front. 
and Uriah died. Oh, and I should jump back before that too. Uriah came back home. He tried, David tried to do it a, a little bit of a slyway first, but Uriah came back home and, and got a little too much to drink. And David said, I need you to go lay with your wife. Because David knew what he had done. <laughs> but Uriah wouldn't. He fell asleep outside of the palace. And so David, knowing that his, that, wasn't, that plan wasn't going to work, he sent Uriah to the front lines. And Uriah was killed in battle. And now here was Bathsheba with the king's son. And things went downhill for David for a little while. He was confronted and told that because of the things that he had done, God was going to take the life of his son. And it was a hard time for David. And it was because, I think, David was dancing on that line. Then he just jumped all the way over it. But he started by dancing on that line. He had drifted towards it by walking up at the top of his palace. You had to assume that he knew that he could see into other houses. And then he danced on that line. But the third thing that we want to look at to protect ourselves is that we don't want to get dragged over the line. (laughs) First of all, we don't want to drift towards it. We don't want to dance on the line. And then we certainly don't want to get dragged over the line. And for this one, we want to flip over to to James. James chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, where it says, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Interesting. Have you ever had somebody say that God is really tempting me or testing me? Testing, maybe. Tempting, though, is different. Because as we see here, God cannot be tempted by evil. God's holiness is above it. But when we, as sinful people, let our temptations get the better of us, and we get dragged over that line, we let lust give in to sin, and sin into death. And so we have to stand firm in what we do, and what we believe. We have to remember the examples that were given. Examples like King David. In 2 Samuel and chapter 12, verses 9 through 11, it says this, Why have you despised the word of the Lord by doing evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the sons of Ammon. Now therefore the sword shall never depart from your house because you have despised me and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will raise up evil against you from your household. I will even take your wives before your eyes and give them to your companion and he shall lie with your wives in broad daylight. 
You see, Nathan was sent to David to confront him about the sin that he had committed. David thought maybe that he could just sweep everything under the rug and everything would be fine. After all, he was king. He can make big decisions like that. But when you're called to do something special or something specific by God, God wants us to make sure that we're doing everything in a manner that is a reflection of his love and his grace and his mercy. And so Nathan confronted David for that. And there are always consequences to the decisions that we make in life. No matter what that decision is, good or bad, there will be consequences. And so Nathan was there to remind David of those consequences. But for us, we have these examples that we can call on where we are standing firm in what we do so that we don't give into temptation, so that it doesn't turn into sin, so that it doesn't turn into death. So how do we protect ourselves? We don't want to drift towards the line. We don't want to dance on the line. And we certainly don't want to be dragged over the line. And you know what? This thought hit me as I was preparing uh, the lesson this week. It's sort of been broken down before, at least for me. The Ten Commandments are half about God and half about other people. The first five are about our relationship with God, and the second half is, is our relationship with people. And adultery falls into that. But really, I think the Ten Commandments are an analogy of our relationship with Christ. When we talk about marriage and when we talk about relationships, a lot of times in wedding ceremonies, ministers will say that husbands should love their wives just as Christ loves the church. And a partnership between two people should be like the church is with God. And so really... I think that all of these ten words that we've been going over so far, half of them for God, half of them for other people, but really I think all ten is an analogy, an example of our relationship with Christ. Because when you think about it, God tells us in Scripture that he is a jealous God and wants us to live only for him. I mean, you have the first five where we, there's no other God before him and we don't want to worship idols. But God also doesn't want us to be adulterous to others. Are we putting things before him? Have we not clearly defined our relationship with God have we not looked into Scripture and seen the, the expectations that God has for us? And so as we've thought about all of these words, and as we've thought about all of these commandments that God gave us so long ago, are we really taking 
taking them at just face value and saying, okay, the first five are his, the first five are other people, and that's that? Or are we really diving deeper and saying, am I taking this as my relationship with Jesus? Of course, God does not want us to fall into temptation where we start looking at the idea of an adulterous relationship. But are we doing so with God as well? Are we giving into temptation where we are then becoming separated from what God wants for us? And so as we've thought about in our relationships with others, whether it be marriage, maybe a serious dating relationship, when we think about these pitfalls of unfilled needs and unresolved conflict, unmet expectations, and how to avoid them by not drifting toward the line, dancing on the line, or getting dragged over that line. Truly, are we doing that with our relationship with Jesus? The other important thing that we want to mention today is that no matter where we have been in our relationships, no matter where our marriages or our feelings for one another have been in our past, the amazing thing about what we've already talked about today in the cross, the empty tomb, is that that sacrifice provides grace and mercy and forgiveness for any place that we've been in our life. Any sin that we've done is not too big for God's forgiveness and his grace. And that is what is so important about these words. Not only are they a definition of how we are supposed to interact with God and with others, but it's also this picture of what our relationship with Christ should be and should look like. And when it looks just right, when we see this amazing picture that God has laid out for us, and we add the cross and the tomb to it, we see that there is no sin that's too big for God to forgive and for us to come back into his fold. So my encouragement today I have two. The first one for those of us who have already had some life experiences as adults is that simply what we've already said. No matter where life has taken you, no matter what relationships you may or may not have been in, this picture that God gives us through all of these words, all of these ten words, and especially this one today, there's nothing that is greater that God cannot forgive, that God cannot get us through. And I'm fully aware that there are some relationships that just don't work. As a marriage counselor, I've told people this that, uh, that I work with and close friends of ours. As a marriage counselor, I always want a marriage to work. I always want, to try, I always want a marriage to try to resolve whatever conflict there is. But I'm not so naive to know that there are some relationships that just don't work. But the glorious thing about it, the great thing about that, 
is that God can still be glorified even in those dark times. So no matter where you've been, no matter what, what relationships or marriages have been or still are, God can still be glorified in those. And the second one, to people who haven't been married yet, is to be careful where you have been, to be cautious where you're going, and to know that if we work on those things that we saw earlier, where we work on our perseverance and our godliness and our self-control, when we work on all of these things and when we make those important in our daily life, God can truly be glorified in the relationships that we have. Never give in to the temptation of lust. And as somebody who's been there, I can tell you, it's hard to come away from it. But the greatest thing is that God is here to help us through it. Don't drift towards the line. Don't dance on the line. Don't get dragged over the line. And God can be glorified in those relationships. As we, can, as we look at them sort of as a paradox of our relationship with Christ. Father, thank you for this word. This topic is never really, this, this word, this commandment, is, is never really a fun one to talk about. <laughs> but then you really never said that our relationship with you would always be fun and easy. In fact, you've told us just the opposite, that living the type of life that you have called us to live is going to be hard. The road is not well-paved and easygoing. It's long and winding and sometimes a little dirty. But Father, as we continue to, to, to try to live the type of life that you have called us to live, we simply ask that as we think about what it is you want for our relationships and what it is you want for our marriages, that we do so in a way that reflects the type of relationship you have with us as a church. That when we think about what it is we want for our relationships, we would look at what you have done and what you have connected to as a church. Father, we ask that you would continue to be with us and that you would continue to guide us today. We thank you for all of this and we ask in his name, in Jesus' name, amen.